May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please. As I mentioned several weeks ago, June the 24th, the Feast of the Nativity of John the Baptist, was the anniversary of my ordination to the priesthood. And as so often occurs in the context of significant milestones in our lives, I've had the opportunity to reflect on the remarkable journey of these past seven years. There have been moments of great joy and profound heartbreak. Baptizing the disabled daughter of a devoted single mother and then just two years later, burying her brother-in-law, the victim of a drive-by shooting. There have been moments of unbridled celebration and intense betrayal. The Sierra Leone Choir making and rocking the walls of Ascension Episcopal Church, and painly the theft of money by a trusted member of that congregation. And there have been moments to share the abundance of Christ's love and to personally be enveloped by it. Walking the final days of a beloved member of the congregation racked with liver cancer and being held by all who comforted me in the grief of my own wife's death. Indeed, the life of this parish priest has been more than I could have ever imagined. And I have to tell you, I didn't learn all of it at the seminary. But as I began to prepare today's sermon, I was transported back to a particularly important conversation early in the process of discerning for the priesthood. As you might expect, preparing for ordained ministry is a long and complicated process, especially in the Episcopal Church. Although each of us is called to ministry through our baptism, the question we must answer is, to what ministry? Some of us are called to assist with worship as acolytes, lectors, and sacristans. Others are called to care for the needs of our larger community through ministries like Laundry Love and Trinity's Food Pantry. And still others share their faith through music, hospitality, and teaching. Essential, however, to each of these ministries is not only an individual sense of call to it, but the community's affirmation of it. Simply stated, it's difficult to lead worship, community engagement, or the choir if no one is willing to support and walk with you. Now, to be sure, the discernment of these various ministries is often informal, initiated by the individual and ratified simply by doing the job. Hosting game night, for example. Greeting newcomers. Selling scarves to purchase gun locks. However, for those contemplating ordained ministry as deacon or priest, the process is decidedly more structured, longer and deeper. Among the early steps in this process is a conversation lasting six to nine months with a committee of parishioners from within our own community. In my case, this occurred in the summer and fall of 2009 
at Grace Episcopal Church in Jefferson City, where I was a member. My committee included seven longtime members of the congregation and a token Roman Catholic, reflecting the broad diversity of that mid-Missouri community. I'll never forget our final meeting, which unlike the others, which took place at the church, was held at our home. During the conversation, which was focused on the kind of ministry I envisioned for myself, one of the committee members asked if I would consider serving as the rector of grace at some point following my ordination. Needless to say, I was deeply touched, flattered, and certainly honored. I paused to collect my thoughts before I responded with something to the effect that I don't think this would be in the best interests of either Grace or me. Now, to be sure, a part of my response was a decision my late wife and I had already made in consultation with Bishop Smith to return to St. Louis, where we had lived most of our lives. I also was mindful of today's gospel, which makes clear the difficulty of being a prophet or priest among those who remember you when. Remember when you first started attending the church. Remember when you became an Episcopalian. Remember when you sat in the pews just like everybody else. Although not as a priest, I suspect many of you have had similar experiences. No matter how old you are, you're still a child in your parents' eyes. No matter the length of your formal education, your teachers still recall you as a student with much to learn. And no matter how skilled you become in your work, your colleagues remember you when you were a rookie fumbling around trying to figure out what to do. Some priests and congregations can rise above this challenge, but I knew that I couldn't, nor could the good people of grace. I was simply too much one of them and they too much of me to be a truly prophetic and effective voice in their midst. As we heard in this morning's gospel, it seems that Jesus encountered the same skepticism and wrestled with the same challenge to his ministry. He had been traveling throughout Galilee, healing the sick, exorcising demons, and turning water into wine. Now, taking a break, he returns to his hometown, enters the synagogue where he had been raised, and begins to teach. The response was immediate and visceral. Who does this guy think he is? Isn't this kid we watched grow up? By what authority does he now presume to instruct us about God and scripture? He's not much more than a child, and he's a carpenter. Then came the real insult. The crowd referred to Jesus as Mary's son, rather than the more common and appropriate son of Joseph. The implication clearly being that perhaps Jesus was an illegitimate child. But Jesus was unfazed. In fact, he not so subtly returns the insult. Back at you! I knew even before I walked in here that you weren't going to listen to me. But no matter what others say, 
the skepticism they voice, or even the rejection of his own family, Jesus understands he's still the prophet of God. He is God's voice and God's presence. The first section of our text this morning then closes with a bit of Mark's understated humor. You know, Jesus didn't do very much. He just cured people, cast out evil spirits, turned water into wine, and worked miracles. No, didn't do very much at all. And poor Jesus was just amazed that people didn't get it. What don't you understand? After all of this, what can you not comprehend? Jesus must have thought. Clearly, the ministry of a young man, a seemingly uneducated man, a mere carpenter of questionable parentage, disturbed the religious leaders of the local synagogue. In fact, what probably bothered them the most was that Jesus was just plain ordinary. Yet despite his rude reception by friends and family, Jesus directly and succinctly asserts his authority, now for the third Sunday in a row. And that's not a point we should overlook, dear friends. If we're to be the church, the very body of Christ, and his presence for a world in need, the question of authority by which we exercise our ministry is critical and it must be answered decisively. You might recall that two weeks ago, Jesus demonstrated his authority over the created order as he quieted a raging storm on the Sea of Galilee. Last week, he calmed and claimed authority over life and death in the healing of the unclean woman and Jairus' daughter. And this morning, Jesus asserts his authority over the spiritual realm as a teacher, a preacher, and a prophet. Although different dimensions of authority, they share a common source. Jesus' authority is vested in his absolute faith in and obedience to his Father. Today's Gospel lesson from Mark concludes with Jesus sending his disciples out two by two to proclaim the good news. And in doing so, he gave them authority over unclean spirits. In fact, he shared with them the very same authority that had been gifted to him by his father. In that charge to the disciples, it seems to me there's also a message for you and for me. Whether the world around us recognizes it, accepts it, or believes it, we, all who are baptized in the life of Christ, have been given the authority of Jesus, the power to proclaim Christ crucified, Christ risen, and Christ who will come again. We've been given the power to care, to comfort, and to heal. And we've been given the power to summon all to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We do so not of our own accord or the force of our own personalities, but solely by virtue of the authority granted us by, in, and through Jesus, 
as his heart, his hands, and his soul for the world. Together then this morning, may we join with the disciples to put on our sandals, grab a tunic, and get to work among God's people, whether they're prepared to listen to us or not. Amen.